You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back at you with another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. We have a great one up for you this evening, although I will admit I might be a little punch drunk. I just did a two and a half hour, a little bit over two and a half hour uh, interview. So my faculties are still here, but we'll see how this goes. I see some people are already in here early. Jill Nimchinsky, uh, Tom McNicholas, wonderful to see you already in there. I'm trying to make it. <laughs> um, we might not be able to go the full hour, but I will certainly try. So tonight we're going to be talking about, I've called this lost to time, generational gaps. I've based this off of my uh, latest morning mug video. Mike's Morning Mug, there on the Connected Universe Portal, ConnectedUniversePortal.com, of course, uh, where I was talking about the generation gap. And so we'll get into that here in a little bit. But I do want to let those know that are listening to the podcast version of this later. Please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. A lot of other great information and uh, wonderful things out there as well. A great community. So, um, you know, we've got, the well, there's the community part of it where we can all interact. There's the behind the scenes videos, of course, the Mike's Morning Mugs video that we we're just talking about, video blogs from all these wonderful places. Uh, we have the, of course, the weekly uh, classes here, but also the after show for those that are actually members of the Connected Universe Portal and so much more exclusive articles and all kinds of things. That's ConnectedUniversePortal.com. And those that are already members, you guys get that app. You'll be notified of every time that uh, we go live and uh, when posts are made and all that wonderful stuff, when interactions are happening there within the community. Of course, also, uh, I have to throw this in there. Uh, the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour coming in April, April 16th to the 28th, 2044. And this is actually uh, very pertinent uh, now because the uh, for those that follow me on social media know that my uh, episode on Stargates on uh, Beyond Belief with George Noria and Gaia TV uh, just dropped today. So we talk about Egypt's Area 51, Stargates, wormholes, all that fun stuff. Uh, we have uh, clips in there, video clips featuring uh, my tours with Mohammed Ibrahim, Johnny Enoch's in there as well. So uh, you want to check that out. That is on uh, Gaia. When uh, I get to it, because it's been a crazy week so far, uh, I will put that link down there in the description I'll have to do that post show because it's already too late. So, but um, yeah, so check all those wonderful things out. 
don't want to delay too long here. I see more people are starting to uh, join here. David Gosling is in the house as well. Uh, so I want to get into, okay, what am I talking here? Uh, the generation gap. What's lost? What is lost to time? Okay. So this, uh, really was all, uh, inspired here just recently by, well, my parents have their 50th wedding anniversary uh, coming up here this weekend. It's actually Friday. We're celebrating it on Saturday. A bunch of families coming over and uh, we're having a big to-do and all that sort of stuff. So it's one of those things, one of those aspects of it. I was scanning in. Oh, I mean, and I still am actually, but I had this whole big box of photos from them. Um, I, I spent pretty much almost my entire Sunday, but I'd already done some beforehand because uh, we're going to do like a big slideshow on the TV, you know, music playing and all that of basically their life from when they were kids, got married, had my sister and I and grandkids and all that stuff. Um, so I'm scanning in all these photos and um, I've talked a little bit here uh, in connecting the universe and on the portal and what have you, you know, about that generation gap and the effects that it has over time. That's really what we're going to be talking about uh, this evening. What gets lost to time as those gaps occur. So I'm actually going to uh, start this with a clip from that morning mug video that I posted. It was yesterday now. All the days are quickly becoming a blur once again. But I'm going to play a clip from that and then uh, we'll dive into all of this. So, but it's had me thinking here. A lot of things. There's stuff I've thought about before that, um, you know, we're only here for a short period of time. You know, the human longevity you know, can, can get up, if you're lucky, 90, 100 years. Um, the average lifespan is a little bit shorter than that. And it's just, it, it's a blink of an eye, really. You consider the whole grand scheme of the planet, the universe, and all of that. I'm looking back at these photos and I'm seeing, you know, my, my parents when they were young and my grandparents, uh, some of the adventures that they had and, you know, knowing that my grandchildren will never know my grandparents. My grandparents, uh, passed away some years ago. Now my children fortunately got to meet them and interact with them for a little bit. And my niece, Jordan actually shares the same birthday as uh, my grandfather. So like when we celebrated uh, her birthday this past year, we also raised a toast to my grandfather. Over time, that kind of recognition will go away because the subsequent generations will have no clue, no idea who these other people were. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough, I, I am very fortunate that um, they have a lot of the old family photos. Um, I have a lot of recorded history from my family, at least as far as my dad's side is concerned. My mom's side, um, I have some stuff, but details are scant. But I've been very fortunate that, you know, there's, it's, it goes in like threes, you know, that, that generational gap happens after the third. So you'll have, you know, grandparents, parents, children. And by the time those children start growing up, the grandparents generally start to fall away. You might end up with a great grandparent situation in there. 
uh, maybe a great aunt or a great uncle, but you only have maybe like one or two from that generation. And they're the ones telling stories about, you know, back in the day. I have a photo over here. Let me grab it real quick. This one here. So I'm the baby in this photo. It's my grandmother holding me. My father's behind. My grandfather. This woman here is my grandfather's aunt. She, because of the familial situation, um, she essentially raised him. So four generations. I'm the only one from my generation that she actually met. She actually passed away three months after that photo was taken. Yeah, so that was uh, Aunt Bicky in that photo, uh, Alberta Grant. And uh, what's what's interesting is a lot of the family stories that come down from that line essentially came from her. And when you know, we go back, we try to confirm some of those things. It's it it becomes difficult because it's like, okay, this was a story. How do you, how do you confirm the settee over here in the corner that you guys can't see? How do we confirm that Ulysses S. Grant sat on that? <laughs> you know? Well, that becomes a little difficult. How do you, you know, trace his steps in, you know, the provenance of, of that Victorian settee? It, it becomes a little uh, difficult. So I uh, see if Jack McCarthy is in the house. Great to see you this evening, Jack. Sir Yusuf is here as well. Tom McNicholas saying my hair is lost. <laughs> Very cute, Tom. Um, yeah, coffee break scared him, huh? And then uh, Yolanda Alvarado. Great to uh, see you as well. So yeah. You know, that becomes uh, over time a, a, a disconnect. And so those of the younger generation really uh, have no conception of those from the older generation. Yeah, I've heard some stories about Aunt Becky. I've heard about, um, you know, some of the different aunts that, that lived with her, aunts for those from New England. Um, and it's, it's stories that I'm recording, but really have no concept of other than this was the older generation. This was, you know, somebody that raised my grandfather. And then looking back before that, uh, you see that there was another cluster of uh, family members and they're all, you know, they're, they're buried more on the, the east side of Cleveland. It's kind of like the family migrated east to west. And um, you see how they were very, you know, well interconnected, much like, you know, when my grandparents were still around, you know, we were having like Christmases and Thanksgiving, you know, it's about to be Thanksgiving here and in the holidays where we were going to, you know, my grandparents' house and that's where everybody gathered and you would have the different generations there all interacting with each other. And then, um, you know, as you know, my grandparents passed away and Thanksgiving and Christmas was no longer there, as, you know, that kind of broke off into, you know, other people's households. So this coming weekend, we're actually doing a little Thanksgiving thing for my mom's side. They have not held a Thanksgiving altogether on that side since my grandfather on that side passed away in 2006. So it's kind of like we're trying to recreate that, but it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be the same. Um, but you know, we're talking that that gap, uh, you know, things being lost to time, inf information along the way, right? Um, my father is, he's a tool and die maker by trade. So he was a, essentially a machinist uh, in his professional career. So he was the guy that, you know, made the machines that either 
made other machines or made the machines that made the parts. And that was his thing. Very, very good at it. And he's always had a uh, fascination for, for woodworking. Yeah, we do the wine too now, by the way, uh, over the last 15 years. But, um, you know, ever since he could do it, uh, which was before I was born, uh, he was always working on these different woodworking projects. And, you know, he, he has essentially built his own house before too, not this one that they're currently living in, but the one beforehand. And he's just really finished his uh, man cave uh, down there. Well, not, not quite. He still uh, is building the bar into it, but he's, he's done all kinds of like furniture projects. This is back from like 1993, right? Um, this was a, a hutch that he was uh, building back then. And uh, again, very, very good. And yes, by the, by just the nature of being his son, I picked up some of those skills because I'd go down there and, you know, I'd help him out and he'd show me a couple things. Um, he'd show me the different tools, how things worked, all of that sort of stuff. But I never really became a woodworker, um, a carpenter or what have you in my adult life. It's like if pressed into that need, I could do it. I mentioned him essentially building his own house and, you know, he's done the, uh, he's built his man cave there. He was always like at our, any of the houses that we live in, there was always like some room that he was remodeling or whatever. And of course I helped along the way. So one of the houses that, that I lived in, um, you know, I did like finish the basement there and with his help, he helped out with a lot of it too. So, um, there was some, work in tandem there together. And then some things I did in my own because I could, I, I knew how to do some of it, but nowhere near as skilled as he was. Um, we're both creative people. I inherited that trait. We'll talk a little bit about um, inheritance here in a bit, but I'll never be as good as him unless I really practice. And then maybe, you know, it, you know, almost 50 years into this thing now. Um, he's been doing it longer than I've been alive. He, he, I think he's got some years on me there. So I probably won't ever be as good if I started now. And just, But um, so there wasn't ever something that I became good at. And so that started to get lost in me, right? Now, what about my kids? Well, you know, they were there when we were doing that finishing work on the basement. Um, we never built any furniture together like I did with my dad. They had wood shop class. Um, yeah, so that knowledge has gradually decreased and decreased and decreased over the years from generation to generation. I mean, there are some families in which, you know, that gets passed on, like, you know, these, these family businesses, you know, because, this person, you know, followed in their father's footsteps and the next person. But if you don't have that, that knowledge becomes lost over time. And my dad has even remarked here that um, he's got, I've got all this knowledge. We've had this discussion. I have all this knowledge. I want to be able to give it to somebody. So I gave him a video camera um, last Christmas or the Christmas before. And, um, you know, I just said, here, re record it record it all. He, he's toyed around with the idea of doing YouTube videos and stuff like that before, but 
you know, any of the other stuff uh, late, that he's been doing here lately. And I've talked to him about it. He's like, I just, I, I don't know when to set it up or how to angle it or whatever. And it, so he doesn't do it. Um, but he still, you know, talks about, I don't have anybody to hand that knowledge down to, which is, you know, kind of sad because none of the, you know, grandchildren that are around are, are picking up on it. And I didn't. Um, we're just, again, creative in different ways. I have, have my writing. I do the video work. I do that sort of stuff. Um, he was woodworking the machines. So when you have that knowledge not being passed down, over time, it will be lost. That, you know, I don't know how to use half the stuff down there. The grandkids know even less. Their kids, they might not even know who grandpa, you know, their great-grandpa would be at that point. Um, we'll see. There, there, may, there may be a, a small child or two that sneaks in there and, and ends up uh, knowing him. Well, we see this sort of thing elsewhere as well. I'm using my dad as an example here. Um, there was a, well, you, you see this in uh, a lot of different historic uh, sites. The example that I'm going to use here is a cemetery. Those of you that have been around uh, the channel for a while, that have been following me for a long time, I say the channel, the channel's changed over the years. And we're, I'm talking YouTube here for those that are listening to the podcast later. I had a series of Lost Cemeteries videos. And this is one of them. But I know the backstory of this particular cemetery. And this is in uh, Campsville, Illinois. It's like uh, basically up on a hill that if the shrubbery wasn't all around, the trees hadn't grown up, you would be able to see the Illinois River, which was the original idea for this particular cemetery, was that the, the ones who had passed in the town could overlook the river. And people used to go up here uh, all the time. This is, uh, it's not on private property, but to get to it, you have to go through private property to get to it. So it's not like, uh, it's not, really publicly accessible. It, it's kind of hard to get to, and you kind of have to ask permission to walk up there and go to the cemetery. Um, but the townspeople would go up here to take care of it, uh, you know, clean up the graves of their loved ones, leave flowers, all of that sort of stuff. But over time, the act of doing that has fallen away. I mean, some people within the town still you know remember who's buried there you know they still have loved ones there but now they're they're really too old to make the trek up that hill up that hill you're talking like people that are their 70s 80s 90s um and then you know beyond they're they're you know pretty much gone at that point so they're no longer going up there to you know rake the leaves and cut down uh the weeds and you know these saplings and things that have you know grown up all over here you know some of them are you know, actual trees, they're not coming up here to do this anymore. And the younger generation, they're not doing it because they didn't know those people. They didn't have a relationship there. They're just like, oh yeah, you know, I, you know my great grandpa's buried up there, you know, and, uh, and you know, great grandma and all those, I, I didn't know them. So they have no connection there other than, you know, it's their family history. Uh, they have 
no emotional tie to go up there and do that. The connection gets lost. And so that becomes a lost cemetery. Those people have become lost to time, which is, which is sad. Uh, that that's something like that has happened, you know, give it some more, uh, decades down the road and, you know, how much more of that will just be, you know, completely gone and, and hidden. We got some comments down in here. Take a look here, uh, real quick. Sage Sleuth is in the house. Love your show and the directions you take. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, great to have you aboard again tonight. Um, so, Sarah, do you believe the loss of certain types of information can affect the essence of what is being passed? I think I understand what you're asking there, and we will get into that as we go along. Um, because, yeah, kind of like uh, with with my father there, um, the like the woodworking aspect is is not going to get passed. What did get passed um, is the creative spark, and that goes back to we've done. Um, We've done classes on uh, DNA, and I've called those like supernatural DNA because uh, we've covered a lot of different aspects. The um, the genetic marker needs to be in place for it to like come naturally to you, right? The, that genetic marker already needs to uh, to be in place for you to to go that way. So my dad, you know, when I was conceived. Um, he had done some woodworking. He had done certainly some, you know, machining at that point because he was in his apprenticeship. Um, actually, he had he had completed his apprenticeship and he was, you know, starting his uh, career at that point. So he had that in place. Um, all the woodworking ability and how because I've seen that evolve over the years from you know smaller projects and things that were average to magnificent things that he's creating now. That has evolved over the years. I was, I was conceived, you know, before that evolution. So have, you know, that creative spark, that creative mind there, not the woodworking skill that was implanted. Um, although from my understanding, we did have a cabinet maker way back in the day, which is probably where he kind of got some of that from. Um, yeah. So my angle went with, writing and uh, subsequently uh, video work. So it, it just took a different direction. Um, let's see. Yep. Jen is in the house. Uh, yeah. I'm here from New England. That's <laughs> right. Cause I mentioned New England. Uh, so it's good to see you, my love. And let's see. Um, and yeah, yeah. Engineering mindset passed down. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's the piece that got passed down. Mm-hmm. So, um, see what else you have. Uh, you guys have a nice conversation down there. That's great. <laughs> uh, Mr. Cuban, psychic abilities, uh, get passed down through generations. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's, a, again, another one that's a genetic marker and that's why, um, and so sometimes it'll skip generations. So it's one of those, when we looked at, I don't want to get totally into this right now, cause we've done that in past classes. Um, it's one of those, like, it can be a part of your uh, DNA strand, but um, there are ones that are turned on and turned off, okay? So it could still be a part of your DNA, but if that's not switched on, you're not going to have that. Uh, but it might get passed down to the next generation. And for that, and when that next generation gets that DNA, it might be switched on. 
So uh, that's where that kind of uh, comes into play. Um, oh, very cool. David says, there's a cemetery here three minutes away that I walked through right, that dates back to the 1740s. I love those old cemeteries like that. Um, so Jen and I had one um, there in uh, Westfield, Massachusetts, like one of the oldest cemeteries in the country. They call it the Old Burying Grounds. And um, it was in fifth grade. We went down there, did gravestone rubs. There's some of them dating back to the 1600s. And beautiful. I love those old graves. Um, Stacy Comiskey in the house. Great to see you, Stacy. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely been a little while. All right. So moving on, though. Um, Okay, we've, we've talked about um, the way that the uh, you know, newer generation doesn't relate to the older one. They didn't know them, right? The older generation, as they move along, move along through time, okay, we, you know, we talk about a lot about time here and time travel and what have you. Two and a half hours to talk about time travel earlier this evening. Um, they start to not recognize the world anymore. It becomes very, very different for them. You know, you think about, okay, somebody that was born, I want to say turn of the century, but, you know, we're, we're 23 years into this particular century. So somebody born at the turn of the 20th century. Okay. Uh, no idea about cars, telephones, airplanes, right? No concept whatsoever of those things. You know, those things um, were just... A couple of them, you know, phone and car were just starting to come into play a little bit, but you know, they, they were few and far between, very, very scant. Um, plane would have been a few years later, and you look at it now. Um, we've got cell phones, of course, all kinds of airplanes, we've got rocket ships, we've got cars and trucks, and just you know, all kinds of crazy computer technology and. You know, the cameras that we have now, you know, taking video. I mean, Edison would have just invented like the moving picture. Um, and now we're doing stuff like this. Um, you know, you could, of course, do this back in uh, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, if somebody lived, you know, 100, very, very different worlds. So there becomes like a disconnect. They start to not recognize the world around them. And as they're the people from their generation start to pass away, they become lost. And that's another way of being lost to time is they are just lost. They, they don't have the people they're familiar with around them and they don't recognize the world around them. That would be a very, very scary place to be if they, if they like didn't keep up with like technology or whatever, but still it would be, I grew up this way and I've spent so many decades in this. And there was a, there was an evolution there. It's like, you know, it, things start to change so fast, though, especially, uh, you know, over the past couple of decades of the last uh, century, just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. So um, another thing that we can look at here um, in regards to this. So as, as the years start to evolve and as things start to get lost to that time. Like, okay, I'm losing my, you know, the woodworking part, right? Um, there's information that starts to get lost. There's um, things that have 
happened in the past that we start to disbelieve or we start scratching our heads about, how did, how did that happen? Like, for example, somewhere along the way, we had the massive, uh, we had the space race, right? This is, you know, rocketry was taken off. And we had this massive desire to go to space and eventually get to the moon. And, um, you know, you had Kennedy saying, oh, get to the moon in this decade and do the other things and, and all that. <laughs> For those that are familiar with the, with the speech. Um, you know, not because they're easy, because they're hard, you know, that, um, which, you know, I, I do believe, you know, we, you don't do the easy things, you do the hard things. Um, you know, that, that builds character just as a little aside, but we had, you know, that massive spacer. And then we finally got there, right? We got to the moon, like, all right, we're here. And we had a couple other missions there and they were like, okay, you know, we did it. We're done. And we never went back. And, you know, we did the, you know, orbiter, the uh, space shuttle around the planet for a while. That was fun. We put up a bunch of satellites, Starlink going up there all the time now. But somewhere along the way, we lost the ability to go to the moon. Like those that are working on the Artemis mission right now, none of those were people from back in the day that were working on Apollo to get us there. So they've had to re-engineer the whole thing. Plus we have, you know, new technology, all that computer, great computer technology uh, that we have today. You know, they didn't have that back. We, there's more, there's more computing power in this than what took them to the moon to begin with. So it's been lost and we're having to now try to re-engineer that whole thing. And because of that, then we start to question, did we even go there to begin with? Did it really happen? Because, you know, there's all those conspiracy theories that there's, there's good old buzz sitting there on the, on the moon with the flag. There's a lot of conspiracy theories saying that this didn't even happen, that this was actually filmed to make us believe that we went there. So I wrote a thing for... When I was originally writing Connecting the Universe, the book, um, I wrote a little piece here um, that did not get included with the time travel book. It's still going to go somewhere uh, within the series. Uh, but because I ended up deciding that Connecting the Universe was an entire series rather than just one book, this didn't really fit in there. So I've, I've saved, but I'm going to I'm gonna read it to you here and I'll toss up uh, good old Buzz again here for a moment and we'll have another photo to go along with this. But um, let me read this little, this paragraph here. We've seen in our lifetimes, history fall away into myth and legend. When television broadcast Neil Armstrong stepping out onto the lunar surface in July, 1969, most people believed it truly happened. However, since we stopped traveling to the moon following the Apollo 17 mission, more and more people have started to believe that the lunar missions never happened, that it was all propaganda in a Cold War effort to try to bankrupt the Soviet Union. Many theorists on this matter point to the symbolism in Stanley, Stanley Kubrick's film, The Shining, based off of the Stephen King novel, the same name, 
as hidden messages that he directed the filming of the Apollo 11 lunar footage on a soundstage. Who would have directed and filmed all the other footage from the five subsequent missions to the moon seems to get overlooked in this theory, but it has caused enough doubt over the four decades since the Apollo missions ceased that a larger, ever-growing segment of the population has started to believe these journeys never happened. NASA's planned Artemis missions are supposed to take humans back to the moon, but if these plans were to be delayed by decades or even scuttled, the Apollo lunar missions would fall into even deeper myth and legend territory, and great-grandfather sitting around the campfire would point up to the sky and tell the tales as if they were ghost stories. A lot of our legends and myths that get passed down, we just deem them as legends and myths, are things that did happen. And because they seem so fantastical to us now, that oh man, there's no way that could ever happen. That you know, we've shied them away. It's just, it's just myth. It's just legend. Those are just stories. I mean, we have photos and video footage, but you know, like with the Kubrick thing, um, people have started to more and more and more people have started to say, no, that's. It's not. It, it was it was recorded. But I always point to the, well, okay, so you're pointing to Kubrick doing Apollo 11 and you're disregarding all the other missions because if he did it on a soundstage for that one, then who would have done it for all the others? Somebody would have had to, right? They, that one always kind of gets overlooked. Then there's the idea, Jay Widener has proposed this. Uh, he put a documentary out uh, a few years ago. It was interesting where, um, and I like Jay, uh, it, where he proposed that no, we really did go to the moon, but um, because it was going to be, you know, like the technology was going to be so difficult to broadcast all of it and just, it was going to be a kind of a mess to do it all, that they recorded on a soundstage, a lunar landing so that they could broadcast that to the people to see, hey, we're really doing it, and but they still win. So and that one's a little, that's kind of interesting. Uh, it's a neat idea. But I, I don't know how many of you may have seen, um, it's a video that was, uh, went, it kind of went viral here uh, some years back. There was this guy I think he was doing a YouTube channel or maybe he was a reporter for some rag or something. But he was getting, caught Buzz Aldrin coming out of some building and he's getting all up in his face about, you know, making the lunar landings and all this. How, you know, how could you, you know, lie to the American public? Don't you feel ashamed to all this stuff? And he's like right in Buzz's face. And Buzz just, boom, just cold cocked the guy. And it was storming off. And the guy's like, you see that? You see that? You just hit me. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, for one, you're in his face. But two, I don't even think it's so much that you're trying to call him a liar as it was. Do you realize how many of his friends died in the space program to make all of that happen? Whether you believed it went to the moon or not. Guys died during that whole process, and they were Buzz's friends. So you're basically insulting their memory 
to him. So yeah, of course he's going to deck you in the face for that. So let's see what uh, kind of comments you guys have down here now for uh, for that. Oh, nice, Sarah. We sent Matt Damon first. <laughs> uh, yes, we sent him to Mars or something. Talking about Mars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Jill saying she saw the, the video about the symbolism. It's interesting. Um, there was a New York Times article here that came out um, a few years ago with one of the guys that worked on the crew for that. And he basically tried to, to discredit it all. It's still you know, a very controversial topic. There are people that are pro, people that are against uh, all of that. So, yeah, there's a documentary that's like, oh, look at all the symbolism. And then you have guys that were actually part of the crew that are like, no, we did this for this reason. We did that, that for that reason. Um, so it's, I guess, who you believe in the matter. Um, you know, again, you know, we're looking at going back. And we have to reinvent the whole process because the knowledge got lost to time. And now the story of those missions has almost become like myth and legend. Um, it's really, really wild. So, um, all right. And there's, uh, and there's Tom. Uh, I remember the entire space mission. Yeah, my, my parents uh, routinely told the stories about sitting there and, you know, watching the lunar, I mean, the whole nation was basically watching uh, that happen. Uh, it was you know, one of those moments where everybody kind of comes together. And when we went back to, you know, when we went back to, I shouldn't say back to Mars, but when we landed the um, the rover on there, um, I was, if I recall correctly, it was in July uh, when that happened. And I was at my parents' house. And again, it was, there were several people over. I think we were doing a... Um, we doing some sort of cookout or something. We had a bunch of family over, and there was everybody in front of the TV, you know, watching us go to Mars. Um, it was pretty wild. I'd, I'd never really experienced that sort of thing because we have, you know, with uh, you know, cable television, streaming services now, and all that. Um, you know, there's so much out there, you know, to watch and choose from, and, and all of that. Were you know, back in the day, you had, you know, four channels, five channels, you know, in UHF <laughs> with Weird Al. Uh, and, and that was and that was it. That was all you had back then. So um, it's different world. So I got to kind of experience there for a brief moment what, you know, my parents did during that era, like, um, you know, watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, you know, stuff like that. So. Um, okay, so uh, kind of going through my notes here. Sorry about that. Uh, like I said, I you know with that two and a half hour interview, I'm a little little loopy. Um, okay, so if that sort of thing, you think about this. You know, we're talking um, the moon landing, 1969. So that was 55. Yeah, almost 55 years ago, right? I guess it would have been 54 years ago. Yeah, because Jen and I were there. 54th anniversary on July 20th. We were actually there for the anniversary uh, at the Space Center. So we're coming up on 55 years here. That's within our lifetimes, right? Um, well, some of us are, are younger. I'm a, I'm a little younger than that. Um, some of us down here are a little bit older than that. But that's basically within, uh, that's two generations. 
Okay, a generation is approximately uh, 25 years. So that's basically within two generations. And we're already having these kinds of problems with lost technology and chalking stuff up to legend and myth. Two generations. So now imagine this over thousands of years. Okay, when we start talking like ancient Egypt and the pyramids, right? You know, we're, we're going to get there. Let's, let's bring it back a little bit. So the hieroglyphs, right? Though that language got lost to time. And we know when it went out of, uh, out of practice. It was around 300, 350 AD, where the last scribe that knew how to write and translate died. And then it took until uh, 1822, the 200th anniversary was last September of Champollion, um, you know, an announcing in a, uh, in, in a presentation there with all the different scholars uh, that he had deciphered the Rosetta Stone. He showed how he was, you know, able to do it. But that deciphering of the Rosetta, the Rosetta Stone in 1822, um, didn't mean that, you know, we had fully translated the hieroglyphs. There's still some hieroglyphs that have not been translated, but it took some decades to really get an understanding of it all. You know, Gardner's list came out, I want to say 1921, uh, which was a really extensive, uh, basically dictionary of, you know, the, the hieroglyphic language. So that's, again, only 100 years ago. Uh, so it was thousands of years that this language had been lost to time. Well, what happened? How did it get lost to time? Well, um, you could say, well, they went out of practice. Yeah, but there's, there's reasons why. So you had um, the uh, Egyptians were in power for you know, thousands of years. You, know, you had the, uh, you know, the old kingdom, the middle kingdom, new kingdom, all those sorts of things. Um but, you know, their power started to wane and they eventually, uh, what happened is Alexander the Great came in and basically conquered Egypt because he was trying to conquer the world and uh, never lost a battle. And he conquered Egypt. So you had this massive, uh, technically it was Macedonian, uh, but you had this great Greek influence and the Greeks ran Egypt uh, there for, for a long, long time. And so... Um, and Cleopatra, by the way, was Greek. She was from the Ptolemaic line. So uh, you had uh, Alexander Great come in. Ptolemy was his uh, top guy. And so she was technically one of the Ptolemaic kings. Uh, and, and the one that we always, that we know of, uh, the famous one was number seven. She was the seventh Cleopatra. So she was actually Greek, uh, you know, living there in, in Alexandria and Egypt. But, you know, she, she, her influence, of course, went all up and down the Nile. You see depictions of her and Caesar all over the place, um, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, then you see a great Greek influence in a lot of the uh, newer temples. And then when the Romans came in, um, of course, they, there was their influence all over. So uh, what you end up seeing, like on the Rosetta Stone, let me pop this back up, what you see here, you have the hieroglyphs at the top, which is the part that is the most damaged, unfortunately. You have the middle, which is called demotic. And basically that was um, a shorthand for 
for the Egyptian hieroglyphs. So they were already by this time, this was during the Greek era, they were already by that time, um, you know, coming up with easier ways to uh, write out the hieroglyphs. And that, that was basically the last part to get translated. The, the, the bottom part of it is Greek. And so they had that to go off of uh, to try to translate the, the hieroglyphs. They actually figured it out via the Coptic language and figured out that the, uh, which is uh, the Christian Coptics and Christian Egyptians, uh, and their language was a, was essentially a dialect of ancient Egyptian. That's how they eventually figured it out, um, which they could translate Coptic to Greek. So you had the uh, different civilizations coming in that are the different uh cultures coming in greek roman etc so the classic egyptian started dying off more and more and more and more because you had the greeks in there you had the romans in there all these other influences and so eventually it became forgotten there were less and less and less people wanting to learn wanting to become a scribe like the same thing with my dad and the woodworking you know, he's doing all this fantastic stuff and I can, I can do some. So basically it's like, okay, if you look at this, my, my dad is the, uh, the hieroglyphs at the top, right? I'm the one in the middle there, the, the, the modic, the shorthand. And my kids would be like the Greek down there. Right. So, um, so that's what happened. It just fell off over time and it took thousands of years to figure it out all over again. So if you have that, just from that one tablet, just the language. Is it any wonder we don't know how these were built? How that knowledge, how that technology was lost over time? Yeah. I have some more comments down here. All right. Uh, David, uh, when I was of school age, British Museum wasn't such a big deal, and the Rosetta Stone was not in a case. So I've touched the Rosetta Stone. Awesome. And you see, that was that's kind of the nice thing about back in the day where you could actually do stuff like that. So oh, that that's amazing that you got a, a chance to actually touch it. Uh, yeah, so many things are just like uh, really closed off these days. Uh, like Stonehenge, you can't you can't walk up to Stonehenge anymore. I haven't I haven't been to Stonehenge myself yet, but um, I've had and I will hear. Um, Depends on how next year uh, ends up happening, uh, but that will happen soon. But I've had so many friends uh, go up there and come back and be like, "Yeah, such a disappointment. You can't, you know, walk up to there uh, like you used to back in the day. You know, where you just walk amongst the stones. Yeah, you can't do like uh, European vacation, back your car into the stone and knock the whole thing over. Um, yeah, Yolanda, losing the languages of Native Americans or dialects of Central America. Yeah, a, a lot of that is being is being lost. Um, yeah, you hear about yeah some of these you know, small small little cultures that are still left where there's like three people that still know the language and they're all like eighty plus years old and then one by one, you know, they're they're gone. And so um, you will have some people that that recognize that and will go in with recorders and get them to say some stuff so that there's at least a recording of what it sounded like. But, you know, the actual knowledge of it is um, it absolutely getting lost. And um, I mentioned it. How did I mention it? Um, it was here recently. 
uh, where you know, one of the standard practices from my understanding from, um, from indigenous tribes, uh, especially here in North America, was not to share a lot of their esoteric knowledge. Um, they didn't want the, uh, you know, the, the English to know their, their legends and secrets and stuff like that. But some stuff, of course, has slipped out over time. Uh, we've gotten a hold of some of that. But um, my friend Clifford Mahudi, who passed away a couple of years ago, he was, um, he was a Zuni elder, and they basically, I, I want to say excommunicated, but that would be with the Catholic Church. But basically, it's the same type of concept. Was they basically gave him the boot because he was talking about and telling people like us you know, about a lot of these different old legends and some secrets and things like that, because because um, he was fearing. And I've had I've you know other um, uh, Native Indigenous people that I am aware of said the same thing that you know they're afraid of those stories being lost over time, that there's not enough people anymore with that knowledge to pass it down the way it used to get passed out, which was uh, mostly oral tradition. Uh, you know, the the different uh, ceremonies uh, and things that they would do, they would pass those down orally. And they were very, very meticulous as to the details of that. But because of the way our society and culture has grown here over the past hundred years, um, it's become more and more and more difficult uh, to be able to pass that down like that. So now a lot of people are going public uh, with this stuff and passing it on other ways. And that's actually um, my book, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, when um, I referenced it in the uh, the section on the giants. It was uh, back in the 1930s, a, uh, a native Inuit uh, named Michael Kazingnook. I mean, again, anglicized uh, name, but... He was a native Inuit and kind of the same thing. He feared that a lot of those old uh, legends and stories weren't going to make it. They weren't going to survive uh, through oral tradition because it just weren't enough people practicing that anymore because of the influence uh, from, unfortunately, from us. And so 500 pages, handwritten, broken English, you know, trying to make sure those stories got passed on and... Um, you know, I, I tried to I tried to be faithful to that in in that particular book. So um, so yeah, so it's it shouldn't be any any wonder that a lot of a lot of these mysteries still remained as to how things happened thousands of years ago. So you know I've had a number of people try to question well. How do you just lose a technology like that? You know, this great thing that can be done. You know, wouldn't you pass that on? Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, you you might be able to pass it on for a while, but here's the thing. You know, we know that there were there were great cataclysms that happened. There, you know, there were floods, there were famine, there were Earthquakes, all kinds of different things like that happened over time. Whether you believe in the great cataclysm, like you have all this debate now over, I don't know how many of you, we mentioned uh, Gaia earlier. Yes, there's my episode here uh, recently that was just released for Beyond Belief, but they started a new uh, season of Ancient Civilizations. I do encourage people to check that out as well. Um, you know, there's, 
you know, a lot of debate over, you know, one, did, did the Great Cataclysm even happen? And if it did, was it a comet impact? Was it a solar flare? Um, and they're presenting both sides of the argument um, as far as, you know, those are concerned. So aside from that debate, um, you know, you even had, I mean, those times are very, very barbaric. So when a, uh, like a tribe would come and uh, invade, a lot of times it was genocide. So, um, you know, if you, you lost your people that had that knowledge, the survivors that might not know how, maybe it was your engineers that you lost in this, in this battle or in this famine or in this earthquake or whatever it was, you lost your engineers. Um, you know, the, the, the ones that actually survived, I don't know how those guys built that, you know, they did it. I don't, you know, um, or even if a couple do survive, they're not really going to be concerned at that point of building huge, massive you know, monuments and things like this. It, they're going to go into survival mode there for a long time. We need to rebuild our civilization. We need to we need to farm some food. We need to do some hunting. We need to, you know, build some huts over here just to, you know, kind of survive and get things going again. And then over time, as they're trying to get that going once again, People die off and the knowledge is lost. So there's multiple ways that this sort of thing happens. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Yolanda said, I'm writing down all of my weird experiences and things that happened. That's a great idea. Definitely do that. Um, David, giant humanoids added to the scenario would be an easy explanation to these huge structures being built easily. Well, that could be helpful. I mean, some of these, um, you look at those, uh, like the Trilithon at Baalbek, I mean, those would have to be massively, massively huge people. And, and you know, there, I am on board with, yes, there were certainly, uh, giants here in North. Did they help with the construction of some of these things? Sure, that would make a lot of sense as to how some of these things uh, certainly happen. I believe that there are other technologies there that were involved as well uh, to be able to to move. Obviously, we don't have the technology today. We don't have cranes or or anything that can lift some of these. And you know, you have uh, you know some archaeologists. Say, well, they use wooden rollers. You're not getting the trilithon uh, on <laughs> on wooden rollers. It's just not happening. It just really isn't. Uh, so uh, there, there was something that was certainly lost there at the time. <laughs> like Sarah here, the, the Paris are giant alien Legos. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I don't. And that's something I don't believe that the aliens uh, built the pyramids. Um, now, did was there some sort of uh, knowledge or ancient civilization uh, that was passed down to have made those? So. There are, there are stories and there are um, uh, many Egyptians that have stated over the years that, no, these structures are already here when we arrived. We didn't build them. And you see this in South America, too, with, um, with a lot of the uh, structures that are attributed to the Incans. And, you know, the uh, you know, survivors from that are like, no, 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 this was, these were already here. These, these were before from before we've repurposed and we put other stuff on top of it and you see that the less sophisticated stuff is on top and the you know uh higher technology is underneath and it's like, yeah no they, 
it wasn't something that they uh, uh, that they did themselves. It was repurposed and passed on. You look at you look at some of the bigger structures there, like in Egypt. When you, when you look at the pyramids, when you look at um, something like what they call the the Valley Temple, which is right there by the Sphinx. It's not hieroglyphs. You know, there's none of that detail that you see in from you know what we call dynastic Egypt, with the uh, you know the hieroglyphs all over the uh, you know, like Abydos or Dendara or anything like that. You don't see that in the Valley Temple. You don't see that. Uh, in the pyramids, the you know the only hieroglyphs that you could say you see at the Sphinx are on the Dream Stella in front of it, not on the Sphinx itself. Um, and a lot of people, of course, you know, made the argument that you know, the Dream Stella is actually talking about restoration, and it's a, it's a marker to uh, basically say that we restored it. In the uh, the controversial section of it at the bottom is. Is gone. It, it's been rubbed away. There's like one illustration of it, and even the interpretation of that illustration is um, is still controversial. So, yeah, it it didn't. If this was your culture, okay, it, it, if this was what you did, this is the way you wrote, and your more sophisticated stuff are the bigger items that are the oldest. Why isn't your language on here like you've been doing on all these smaller structures? It doesn't make any sense. So. All right. So we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up. So those that are part of the Connected Universe portal, we're going to go ahead and kick into the after show. Those listening to the podcast version later, of course, please join us here every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Uh, lost to time. We have lost much over time. We are still rediscovering many, many of those mysteries. And we will continue to do that here in connecting the universe. So, all right, everybody. Till next time. Time really exists.